Optimism or not, let, let's say inflation has hypothetically peaked. Mm-hmm. Let's say the CPI number is coming down. Let's say this, the PCE number, the core inflation number is coming down. Let's say PPI continues to improve, the producer price index. Right. Let's say all these things are headed the right direction. Mm-hmm. Even all of that being said, you need to know that Q1 2023 will be really, really tough for the economy. Right. That is a fact. Expect that. Mm-hmm. So if you're DMing me saying, hey, Chris, when's is now a great time to buy a home? I don't know the answer to that, but I'll, t- I'll tell you what I think the environment will be in the upcoming near term, in the next four months. Right. I truly believe that the, the rates we're seeing now with a six handle on it, with a dip from optimism, the behavioral economics really dropped that down, and the treasuries came down after this, these positive prints. Right. I think this is temporary. I don't know that we're going to end the year with 10% interest rate, but I do believe we'll end the year in the mid-sevens. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Higher Standard Podcast, where we give you ultra-premium, unfiltered truth when it comes to building your wealth and curating the lifestyle of your dreams. No games, no drama, and no shenanigans. I am your host, Chris Nahibi, and I'm here to help you distill the immense amount of information and disinformation out there on the interwebs and give you the opportunity to choose a higher standard for yourself. There are no gurus here, and no one gives a damn about how wealthy you look. I'm an attorney and a banker, amongst other things. Does that mean you should listen to me? Hell no. This is just full disclosure that while we talk about money, wealth, law, investing, and a lot of related topics, you should always speak to your own advisors for an opinion tailored to your unique investment perspective. I am obligated to tell you that nothing contained in this show is in fact legal or investment advice and is being provided solely for entertainment purposes. So sit back, relax your mind, and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's the higher standard. This is once again the Higher Standard Podcast, and I am the sexy host, Chris Nahibi. Over there is the sultry host. Saeed Omar. Hello, everybody. If you like this show, please go ahead and subscribe and leave us an honest five-star review, whether that's on Apple or on Spotify or Alexa, which we'll get into later. Yeah, probably, probably not a good idea to use Alexa. And just a point of clarification, if I call myself the sexy host and nobody actually refers to me as that, does it still make it true? Listen, man, no one's going to hear that part. They've already skipped through. That's true. Everybody skips the intros. Yeah. Well, don't skip this. Coming fresh off the last episode, which you have likely laughed your ass off about, the FTX cryptocurrency debacle. Mm. We made a reference in that episode about my man, Charlie Munger, mm. Warren Buffett's right-hand man. OG Charlie Munger. Well, he came out and he ripped into cryptocurrency after the whole FTX fiasco, calling it a lot of things. One of my favorite quotes is saying, it's good for kidnappers. Yeah, he said, we do not need currency for kidnappers. And while I typically don't read full articles on the show, this one isn't that long and it is hilarious every single paragraph. I did Truly, I did not know he was this big of a savage. Oh, he's ruthless. And he's gotten worse as he's gotten older where he just doesn't care. First, first of all, he, he's, he's older. He's clearly like a little bit, he, he strains a little bit when he's speaking now. So mm-hmm. when it comes out of him, it, you have to like sit there and go, wait a minute. Did he just say that? Yeah. Because yeah. he comes yeah. out hot. He, he's getting frustrated that you're forcing me to have to talk on something that I don't want to talk he, on. And he's hated crypto for a long time. But don't take our word for it. Mm-hmm. Charlie Munger has never been shy to share his feelings about Bitcoin. But with the spectacular implosion of FTX in the past week, the vice chairman of Berkshire Hathaway is ratcheting up his criticism in a big way. Mm. This in the Fortune article that came out this week. Speaking on CNBC, Munger ripped cryptocurrencies, calling them partly fraud and partly delusional. <laughs> so you can tell he likes them. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a good time. This is a quote. This is a very, very bad thing. The country did not need a currency that was good for kidnappers, Munger said. There are people who think they've got to be on every deal that's hot. I think that's totally crazy. They don't care whether it's child prostitution or Bitcoin. God damn, bro. I mean, there hasn't been an opportunity to invest in child prostitution. I mean, that's a harsh reference. It doesn't, it but, doesn't, it doesn't get worse than that. But he's basically saying you're an immoral piece of shit. Yeah, pretty you know? much. And yeah. I still hold some, some cryptocurrency, including Bitcoin, so maybe I should be offended, but it, it's all good. <laughs> yeah, it's coming for you. <laughs> yeah, it's coming for me. FTX has warned that it could have over 1 million creditors in an updated bankruptcy filing. Mm-hmm. One million creditors. How do you even manage that if you're the bankruptcy court? That is re- so outrageous. 
It's a breathtaking jump from the initial estimate of over 100,000. Bitcoin prices, meanwhile, have lost 74% of their value in the past year, and tokens are worth just half of what they were in May. Munger said that the combination of fraud and delusion was to blame. Another great quote coming up. Yep. Good ideas carried to wretched, wretched excess become bad ideas, he said. Nobody's going to say, I got some shit that I want to sell you. They say, it's blockchain. <laughs> First of all, to see this man say, I got some shit I want to sell you. I, I mean, I, w- I would pay good money for that. Like, I, I just want that like as a meme. Yeah. That should I've be, got some shit I want to sell you. That should be the first t-shirt we sell for the higher standard. No, I got way better ideas. Yeah? Yeah, I want, I want the uh, Alameda Research CEO as like a picture on just the front of a shirt. <laughs> yeah, that, just like, that. You would, you, every, and then just say something like, FTX risk department. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so a little bit more on that actually too. I don't know if you saw that 134 affiliates of FTX.com have jointly filed for bankruptcy. Yeah, uh, BlockFi, which we, we were, I mean, they were really connected. We were long talking about them on the show a couple times before, even this last episode. They've now filed their chapter 11, which is a reorg. But keep in mind, most people file out of Chapter 11. And who's BlockFi again, for people that are listening? BlockFi was another major crypto brokerage house, basically. Mm -hmm. They're buy, sell, hold, right? That's what they did. They were were a dealer. And they were also a very big brand name in the space. I don't remember what ranking they were, but they were certainly up in the top 10. Mm -hmm. And they they had a big presence. So for them to go down, and that's the crazy thing. There's a, I saw it on a CFA uh, website. I'm actually, I don't know if I told you this, I'm actually in the process of getting my CFA license. Oh, no, I did. No, I did. I did. Becoming a CFA. I heard you say you wanted to take on this endeavor. Yeah, I did for altruistic reasons. But that being said, I'm going to start doing that whole thing. But I'm I'm looking at a lot of their content lately and and some of the stuff they post. But somebody posted this wonderful image. And I'll see if I can link it to the show notes that showed uh, Sam in the middle, right, Mm -hmm. as the CEO of FTX. And then it showed all the impacted companies around the perimeter. Yeah. It, it's insane. Yeah. The how rippling, many the rippling effects, and that's how you get up to one million people that are affected by this. Yeah, well, plus their customers that were there, and there's all these customers that were coming into them. So it's mm-hmm. it's a pretty easy fix there. Let's finish this article up. I think there's some uh, interesting things that, to wrap up, and then and then we'll go on. Uh, the criticisms, while amped up, are nothing new for Munger, who has long been a skeptic of digital currency, saying he has saw no value in or potential in them. And it's a quote again: "In my life, I try to avoid things that are stupid and evil and make me look bad." And Bitcoin does all three, he said in April. In the first place, it's stupid because it's still likely to go to zero. It's evil because it undermines the Federal Reserve System. And third, it makes us look foolish compared to the communist leaders in China. He was smart enough to ban Bitcoin in China. He has likened it to rat poison and a venereal disease. Jeez, man. He basically said anybody who has Bitcoin has herpes. Yeah, he's. he's <laughs> I, I want nothing to do with you. Yeah, you, you guys are... Either rat poison or herpes, pick one. I'm not sure which one I would want. Yeah, I know we, we touched on the last episode. I mean, it started off with, you know, some righteous intent. But then once it became speculative, it just became Wall Street without regulations. I don't know, man. All that shit really always starts that way, right? I mean, cryptocurrency, NFTs were just an extension of cryptocurrency, but they're really not different in that they were something you could trade. There's value in it. People were collecting them. There was degen. Was there value in it, though? There's I mean, value the Board Ape Yacht Club thing got big for a little bit. There's, there's little value of time. in it because people say that there's value in it, but the value was really speculation. The crazy part was is every time like you would talk to somebody who was not initiated or not part of this subculture, you you try to explain it to them. You go, okay, so so I'm buying a picture, a digital picture, but you could screenshot it and copy it and use it. I'm like, yeah, but you don't own it. Yeah. But no, but I have it on my my laptop unless mm-hmm. the owner comes to me and sues me for having it personally. Like Right, right. Trying to explain to people was difficult. They were like, "Why would I don't get it?" The best reference I could ever come up to with with, with NFCs was that they they were effectively like a way to have something on the blockchain like a receipt. Mm-hmm. Right? Like that that's the example that made the most sense for me. Mm-hmm. It was clear ownership of something. I think I think the best application for the for the future of the world, frankly, is you have an NFT that has a serial number attached to it, right. which mirrors a serial number on a real item, like a Louis Vuitton bag, mm-hmm. like a car or something like that. Right. right. And that NFT is effectively your receipt. It shows when, when the car was produced, it shows who owns it, and they sell it to you. Now, certainly someone could try to sell it multiple times, but the first time they sell it and transfer the NFT, mm-hmm. that's transferred, right? So right. you can still have fake stuff out there that doesn't have an NFT associated with it, but you know when you're buying something, you're buying it from the person who bought it, or the person who bought it from the person who bought it from the store. Right. You know, so it, 
there's there's an ownership trail there which matters for titling purposes. That's really the blockchain, the NFTs, all just the way you represent it on the blockchain. Yeah, I see that having value moving forward. But all this image JPEG stuff, no. Yeah, venereal disease. But what doesn't make sense to me though is so you have you have this NFT that ver- that is essentially supposed to serve as a verifiable checkmark in in the blockchain. Mm. Right, not really verifiable checkmark, but it's just a record of ownership. Just yeah, okay. So it's just a record. It's just a record of ownership. Yeah. But then, how do people? How do people verify that that's actually you? Oh, like how it's yeah, me yeah, that owns it? Yeah. So it would be me individually, and I'd have access to a blockchain wallet. So mm-hmm. if I can't transfer it to you, and I can't show you that I own the wallet by transferring it to you, then there's no good. That's so, a whole lot of work, man. No, no. It's it's, it's here's the practical, practical application, right? So imagine like title to a car. Yeah. In the real world, you buy a car. Right. And they give you a pink slip and you go to DMV and then you do your thing. That could be a fake pink slip, bro. Yeah. That could be that could be fake. You take it on faith when you get to DMV, that shit's gonna work. Right. It looks real, it's got some, you know, ink dye, safe safeguards in it, whatever. But it's not right. guaranteed. Yeah. That could totally be counterfeit. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I've I personally have never heard someone getting Okay, well think about it in the context of the NFT world. You go to buy a car, you say transfer me the NFT. If he can't transfer you the NFT yeah. from his crypto wallet, and you can't look at it in your crypto wallet and see that this person, he gives you an ID, represents himself, whatever, right. is the person who bought it in the, in the representative chain of the blockchain, right. or you can't match the numbers up, then you don't take the car with you. You can make that title decision right then and there before you actually take the car. there's so much of a learning curve here for so many people. Nah, I, over, it's overthought. It's really overthought. But why not? Why not just go things the, the way that it's been, it's been going on for years on years and years? I'll tell you why right now. Okay. DMV. Hate the DMV that the much. DMV. No, I said that I hate the DMV. Like I, I respect. Why do you hate the it's, DMV? It's underfunded, bro? huh? Don't hate the DMV. Don't bro. don't put this on me. I this, got cars this, to register, this, bro. This. Don't make this about you. <laughs> like I gotta go there and be nice. If you're listening, if you're from DMV, I love you. This is not you. This is Saeed who hates you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but look, title to ownership to vehicles, ownership to houses, ownership to like material goods, like high end Louis Vuitton bags, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That should all be on the blockchain, man. That should all be registered out there, like in a title ownership. And we should know who owns what watches, Rolexes. Yeah. If you buy a Rolex, like you're not, if you're not a specialist or you don't know somebody, you're not buying it from an authorized dealer. And even then, in some cases, you don't know if you're getting a real deal. Right. Now, what if I told you you could trace back that transaction to Rolex, creating the NFT mm-hmm. with the watch and selling the watch, and you could trace that back? Now you've got a record of ownership. You could sell with that watch to make sure that people know it's real. Call me old fashioned, man. If I'm buying a Rolex, I want to buy it from the Rolex store. Bro. Have you? Wow. Okay. <laughs> tell me you never bought a Rolex. Don't tell me you never bought a Rolex. I know that. I know that there's limited supply and there hasn't been one in the store you for quite a some Rolex time. Store right now, there's that's now, there. but that's now, right after the pandemic. But in, in general, once the supply chain gets all sorted out, things and it's all worked out. I don't know the actual numbers, but I know that Rolex makes really limited, much more limited quantity, quantities than people realize. Yeah. I would venture to guess, and this is purely speculation. I'm sure someone listening to this is going to have the numbers and probably DM me and a good, good. Uh, I want to hear the answer, but I would venture to guess. Most watches are bought on the secondary market, the great market. Really? Yeah. I'd venture to guess there's way more transactions there than from retailers. So I'm going to stick to my Apple Watch. I love my Apple Watch. I'm not yeah. hating, bro. Yeah. Got the Ultra, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you have to. What bang, a bang, flex. Bang, bang. <laughs> <laughs> flex an extra 200 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on to one of my favorite topics and your favorite topics. Let's talk about financing homes, the housing market. It's been a while. We had a couple episodes where we haven't really talked about it in great detail. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read you a quote from an article. I want you to tell me what your initial thoughts are because this one I kind of had mixed mixed feelings on and I don't, I don't want to give it away. This is from Bloomberg, a t- article titled, A Six-Figure Income is Needed Just to Afford a Typical U.S. Home. Mm-hmm. Okay? Right there you should have some questions, but hold those questions. Right. Financing costs have shot up so fast in the U.S. that a typical house is now out of range for Americans earning less than $100,000. Buyers last month needed to earn $107,281 to afford the monthly mortgage payment on a median-priced home up nearly 46% from $73,668 a year ago, according to a report from brokerage Redfin. What are your thoughts? So what is a typical U.S. home, first of all? Right? And the, the article really didn't say that. I think what they're doing is they're, they're talking about the average home price across the country, which I know from previous podcasts, around stuff, it's, it's around a little over 400. It's like 420 something. Oh, 400 grand. Right. Exactly. I mean, six figures, that's, 
it shows it does show that the shot up of it going up 46 percent i mean it just confirms that this is an affordability crisis something that, that needs to be corrected yep let's do it for, you know because we always do it demand without affordability is not demand right? right so if people can't afford to buy homes you don't really have demand and this is why you're seeing so many of the builders site you referenced earlier uh think, was, was it a home builder you had yeah dr horton said yeah. that uh, a third of the contracts i believe are canceling yeah. for, for new buyers and that's up 19 percent from like a year ago um and they're the largest u.s home builder in the nation now, i wanted to explain that process a little bit because i think a lot of people don't understand how this works the home builders got so backed up with new inventory they were delivering to market and it was really easy for the consumer to say i don't want to bid home prices up crazy high i'm going to go to a mm-hmm. builder they're going to build a home for me right but that price is going to be locked in i'm not bidding against everybody i'm just now you had to get a bid in that won a home but once you got it you weren't bidding up values against anybody else you were buying it for the home builder for their price obviously with the spec that you're building it out for right the trade-off though was you were waiting for that mm-hmm. home to be built and for that delivery to the market and that wait time when it started people couldn't lock in their rates yeah so these homes that are being delivered six months eight months nine months later mm-hmm. are now being delivered in a much higher interest rate environment yes and people who could afford a home at two and a half percent, you know, three percent, are now looking at seven percent handles. Actually, this week probably closer to six and a half percent. And just handles. probably walking away from those deposits. And they're saying, you know, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And I, I don't know if they're walking away necessarily or what the the out is because everybody everybody's different as far as their contracts go. But they could be getting out. They could be getting out with their financing contingency, right? Right. You have a financing contingency mm-hmm. with, contingency when you get in the spot, right? And if that you trigger that contingency, saying, hey, look, I could qualify for a mortgage at three percent, can't right. qualify for double that. Right, and they get out, and they're losing. They're losing business. I'm sure some people are walking away, saying, "You know what? I just can't afford this right now," and you know, whatever. But it's going to be an interesting time to see how. I mean, home builders have already pulled back on their building, but they have projects they have to finish. Yep, they've delivered to the market, so that's why you're seeing that number really kind of creep up significantly. And I think it's impacting them on, 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 before the market's really being impacted. Right, and with with continued reports like this coming out this is ultimately going to affect home prices and when home prices continue to come down we know that rents will be coming down as well that's already that's already started so there isn't a whole lot of data it's one it's a lagging indicator so Mm -hmm. it's not going to come out first but that's already started it's very visible to market and as as somebody who does what we do for a living in the lending space Mm -hmm. we we, a lot of our a lot a lot of our lending is in rent controlled markets so Mm -hmm. we never saw the upside increase but we don't see the downside fallout as much but in the markets that we do lend in that aren't rent controlled I'm already starting to see those asking rents come down. Right. And for, for those that are listening to the show and are listening to us track this CPI number, remember shelter costs are a big component of the CPI report, right? 32%? Roughly makes up a third of the report, right? In October, it increased 6.9% year over year. That's Chris opening up a 85 calorie beer. A Tecate Alta. Yeah, Tecate Alta. Sounds sexy, but basically it's it's sugar water. Yeah, exactly. So in October, uh, rents increased 6.9% year over year. Now, the, the problem with this is this this data is reflected, like we said, a third of the report. With rents coming down, those numbers aren't going to be reflected in the updated CPI reports until people have to renew their leases. This is why they call it this. It's a six to nine month lag indicator, mm-hmm. right? So, if this makes up a third of the report and rents are coming down, the real rental rates that were it'll be a noticeable change to affect the report won't be till middle, maybe middle of next year. Which is scary too, because if you think about the context of where the, the Fed interest rate increases are projected to go, mm-hmm. and you think this through logically, you remove the political banter and all the bias, which is what we try to do on the show, and you look just at what the Fed is telegraphed they're going to do. You got a 50 basis point increase coming up on December 14th. Yep. Then 2-1 is your next Fed meeting, right? February 1st? Oh, yeah, 2023. 2023, it's likely to be 25 basis points. Then it's the next one is arguably questionable it'll be 25 or not. Or after that one, after that February 1st one of 25 basis points, they're actually going to hit their original uh, target rate of 4.5%. 4.5%. And the, the rumor is, is they're going to move up to 5%. Yes. So if they hold rates... Right, and they don't move up after the four and a half percent target. Mm-hmm. Call it February, March. Right, but then we don't see the lagging indicators really hit until May, June. Right, you know, are they holding at the right time? Or are they going to increase rates until then and then hold? 
Yeah. There's a big gray area there. And that's where like a lot of the probability indexes are almost always wrong. It's too far out. It's too speculative. We haven't seen enough prints by then. Right. There's a lot of optimism in the market though right now. I know. Off of just one CPI report. And then I know the, the PPI report, the producer price index. It was, it was positive. It, it was positive as yeah. well. So those two reports and they usually, you know, they look at those together. So those two positive reports and people are getting all optimistic, you know, but there's a, there's a long way to go. And let me make no mistake about it. Optimism or not. Let, let's say inflation has hypothetically peaked. Mm-hmm. Let's say the CPI number is coming down. Let's say this, the PCE number, the core inflation number is coming down. Let's say PPI continues to improve the producer price index. Right. Let's say all these things are headed the right direction. Mm-hmm. Even all of that being said, you need to know that Q1 2023 will be really, really tough for the economy. Right. That is a fact. Expect that. Mm-hmm. So if you're DMing me saying, hey, Chris, when's is now a great time to buy a home? I don't know the answer to that, but I'll, t- I'll tell you what I think the environment will be in the upcoming near term, in the next four months. Right. I truly believe that the, the rates we're seeing now with a six handle on it, with a dip from optimism, the behavioral economics really dropped that down and the treasuries came down after this, these positive prints. Right. I think this is temporary. I don't know that we're going to end the year with 10% interest rate, but I do believe we'll end the year in the mid sevens. At least... Mid sevens when the next print comes out, mm-hmm. and when the next because the next these rates begins. these rates have been priced in the next fifty basis point, and usually that gets priced in right before. And we're seeing a lot more volatility now. Now mm-hmm. that there's starting to be a little bit more elasticity in the markets, they're starting to respond a little quicker. Right. So I, I think that that's going to be a very very strong end of the year. So mid sevens, maybe even low eights, depending on how reactive the market is, and if we get a bad print, if we get right. one bad print between now and the end of the year. Mm-hmm. In addition to the Fed interest rate increase of 50 basis points, you can pretty much guarantee an 8% handle on mortgage rates. Right. And something else that people, I think, uh, that left the conversation, um, remember when, when I actually first joined the show, we were looking into how much the Fed is going to be pulling out month by month. It was actually how much they could pull out per month, and it was around $47.5 billion a month, but they weren't taking out nearly as much. So you can actually go on the NewYorkFed.org website and just search the domestic security holdings and you can see week by week how much they're either taking out or printing money still, mm-hmm. right? So did a deep dive there in September. Uh, week one, they removed $4.2 billion. In week two of September, they actually printed $5.5 billion. I actually wasn't going to go here, but I'm going to go here. Okay. Because I think this is a good somewhat of a segue. But I did want to pause for one thing. Mm-hmm. I do miss going to the garage and recording this podcast in the garage while you were wearing booty shorts. <laughs> you, miss my, you miss these legs? Like, like you don't wear these booty legs, shorts you in miss, the studio. You miss seeing the teardrop? Do I keep it too cold? You, you miss the teardrop. The teardrop on your, your thigh gap? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw an article before you, well, you, make, you make a comment about your thigh gap, aren't you? Go ahead. No, talk about your body all you no, want. Go ahead. No, no. But these, these thunder thighs, I get it. That's fine. Yeah. Well, they used to hear the plop plop sound they, they, they'd make when you, know, you were sweaty and shit. <laughs> <laughs> True story. When we were recording the podcast, it got so bad. We were sweating so profusely that the headphones would be moist. Oh, yeah. At the end, we'd have to wipe them down. <laughs> we'd have to wipe. It was terrible. Yeah. It was so bad. But those are good times. All right. So I saw an article come out, and I was kind of blown away by the titling of it. But effectively, Congress seeks to arm Taiwan quickly as China threats grow. Mm. And we already had Nancy Pelosi go there early in the year over the whole chip thing. And that caused a whole bunch of political turmoil with China and our relationship there. But I thought to myself, like, is this, I mean, maybe I'm cynical, but is this the right time to align China and Russia against the U.S., two communist countries who are arguably two of the the largest superpowers in the world aside from the United States? I mean, do we really need to align them in mutual hatred towards us? (laughs) No, no, right. So, and then my other question was immediately, because, you know, I think about the show and the money side of it, do we need to spend the money? You know they're going to be sending money that way. Of course, right? So, that, mm-hmm. that, so I, I went down the, the rabbit hole, and I went to a website called tradingeconomics.com. There'll be a link in the show notes. But it's been proven that government spending has little, has been studied to have little impact, little to no impact, I should say, on inflation. So the government spending doesn't impact our inflation numbers, core inflation, PCE, you know, regular inflation, CPI. But in the long term, the United States government spending to GDP, however, is a different story. Right. It's projected to trend around 38.40% of GDP in 2023. That is a huge portion of GDP that's right. government spending. Right. right. We, touched, we touched on that on the last GDP print. 
right? That a, a big chunk of that was government spending. So, in and to drive home the point here, the more the government spends of your tax dollars, my tax dollars, the more they can make it look like we're not in a recession mm-hmm. by over arbitrarily inflating GDP. Right. So we should all be hyper vigilant uh, of some of the excess government spending that we've seen, both leading up to the midterm for political reasons and certainly for things like this, which are positioned to make people like Nancy Pelosi a lot of money. Right. Not that I'm biased or cynical right. about it or anything like that. <laughs> so just to, just to complete that, so for the months of September and October, uh, they could have removed up to $190 billion from the system. They ended up for September and October actually removing $150 billion. Mm. So it looks like they're final, they, they finally took a stance and were actually starting to pull out the money that they said they would. That's still a significant from, improvement over what they were doing a couple months. Oh yeah, I mean they over a couple months ago we we looked at it. They had the uh, was it forty something forty seven and a half billion, yeah. and they were there were there were months where they were still printing money. Yeah, you know, um, even though they said that the initiative was to come out and you know quantitative tightening, pull money out of the market. So this is actually you know a re- refreshing to see that they're actually putting their foot down and going a step in the right direction. Yeah, I mean they are making some some significant headway there. So talking about printing money, taking money out of the economy and money in general, one of the things that I think all of us as consumers have been worried about is our access to money. And certainly non-bank lenders were first in the forefront of the strain on access to money. A lot of the refinance demand came in early and then rates started creeping up and now they're getting hit hard. Yeah. I ran into an article on Apple News, which is again in the show notes from Bloomberg titled Mortgage Lenders Vie to Be the, quote, Last Man Standing as Rates Soar. And I've got a lot of history with this uh, kind of theory. In my previous life, career-wise, I did some work at what was then Lending Tree Loans. Right. And that's the same team, Anthony Shea, uh, Tomo, and those guys who are over at Loan Depot now. Right. And they were brilliant in this space. And there, there's, there is nobody that I, I know in the non-bank lending space like Anthony Shea. He's been able to time his really? okay. entry into the market and his exit from the market in the most artful, stunningly impressive way. Uh, the man has been able to time it every single... If you look it back all the way going from when he sold his mortgage company to E-Trade. Yeah. Back, I think, in the 90s. He exited right before the recessionary economy. Like, the height of the economy. He just exited. He's, he saw the writing on the wall. He saw the writing on the wall. I mean, when he, lending lending tree loans, he sold to Interactive Corp, Barry Diller and Co. and and Barry Diller's then CFO, Adara, was over at Uber, and, right. and he exited at the right time. They own they at the time they owned Ask, Ask Jeeves and Ticketmaster and some other people. So this was another arm for them to buy. Right. And when it came to Loan Depot, I thought these guys were screwed. I'm like, ah, it, you know, he finally got caught up. He's never gonna, you know, he's never. Right. Gonna. He became a billionaire. Anthony Shea did by taking them taking them public mm-hmm. and cashing out at the right time he's now stepped down as ceo and he i think he's still in a chairman capacity or something like that there but he's been able to time the market in such an incredible way but his theory at loan depot was they were going to actually make loans on the front end at an economic loss wow because they wanted to drive all the small brokers out of business because they couldn't compete on the front end and then he could sell them on the back end because it wasn't, as long as it wasn't a rapidly interest rate increasing environment, especially like what we're going through now, which is unprecedented as right. far as like rapid pace of increases, mm-hmm. he could sell on the secondary market, pull the loans together, package them as you know mortgage-backed securities, and sell them off to like a GSE, like Freddie or Fannie, mm-hmm. and sell them at a premium, 1.01% on billions of dollars of loan production. Right. And that could be the profit for the company. Not everyone could copy this business model. Though. No, it was it was a huge yeah. scale, and that, that's he's always been built scale. He's built for scale. That's always kind of his thing. Mm-hmm. Then he retained mortgage servicing rights, and then he made you know, twenty five basis points on the mortgage servicing rights of these billion dollar portfolios that he held for some period of time. Right. So there was tons of other back end income streams that these smaller brokerage shops, these smaller non bank mortgage lenders, could really right. compete with. So the whole business was built around driving everybody out of business laying off people during really bad economies mm-hmm. and then flipping the switch back on during a prosperous economy when we get out of a recessionary economy and there's all this extra market share for you to take over. But he's always prepared it and presented it that way, got out at the, at the height of the economy and left that business plan on the table for someone else to manage through a recession. Right. Well, here we are again. Quote from the article, 
Better, uh, referring to better.com, the, the beleaguered, which is a really weird word. Is that, is that, is, I read that right, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beleaguered? Yeah. I saw you, you took a hard pause on that. You're like, yeah, oh, I was, I took like, a deep breath. I was like, why can't you just say troubled? <laughs> yeah. Like, why, don't make me the asshole. Yeah, why, why can't you get all fancy and cute? Fuck you, Bloomberg. Yeah. Mortgage provider that's cut roughly two-thirds of its workforce. And for a reminder, their CEO has the most punchable fucking face you will ever see in your entire life. That guy looks like a dick. <laughs> I hate his face. Oh, I remember. Remember when he jumped online? He he let all those people go. He's a. I mean, look, laying off people. Like, I get why you have to do that from a human capital perspective, but his yeah. face sucks. Yeah, yeah. His face really sucks. Don't like that guy. Like, I, if I saw him out in public, I probably would have like a non-controllable knee-jerk punch in the face reaction. I, I just <laughs> if I saw him, I, yeah, I would yeah, punch yeah. him right in the face. Anyway. He cut roughly two-thirds of his workforce, is poised to eliminate even more jobs. Lending Tree Inc., Penny Mac, and HomePoint Financial Corp. have also reduced their staffs. Such cost-cutting could be helpful in the short term, but may be enough to allow non-bank lenders to last long enough to see a mortgage market recovery. Mm -hmm. So now this model, which frankly Anthony in a lot of ways pioneered, is how they survive and what they hope for to get to the other side of the, of the business. Right. And there's a lot of detail in this, in this article, and if you have some extra time, read it. But I liked one particular chart. And it talked about online domination. Non-bank lenders account for much of the U.S. home mortgage market. Makes sense. Number one, Rocket Companies, which is Rocket Mortgage, right? Right. $114.5 billion in volume. Jesus. They own 6.1% of the market. At that volume, 6.1%. That's it. That's it. I know. Isn't that crazy? Unbelievable. United Wholesale Mortgage, 100.7 billion, 5.4% of the market share. Wells Fargo and Co. Now, they've intentionally been trying to fall off. I did not expect that to be that yeah, high. They, they're number three at a 5%. Now, I will point out, Loan Depot passed them as the number one mm -hmm. lender in this category, right. uh, I think sometime last year, and they were really like proud about it. Mm -hmm. But the backstory was here is Loan Depot told everybody that Look, we're you know we passed you know, the number one lender and you know blah 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 we're doing so well. What the backstory was is that Wells Fargo was actually trying to exit the space yeah. and limit their exposure. So this was intentional by them to drop down this list, mm -hmm. and they're still number three because unlike the rest of them, their their platform even though they dropped down is now higher than the rest of their volume who right. laid off people and got an impact. Yeah, and this and just for note, based on data for the first nine months of 2022. Yeah. Uh, Wells Fargo and Co. Number three, so Penny Mac. Number four, eighty-six billion, four point six percent market share. Penny Mac is not a GSE; they just sound like one. Mm -hmm. That's the beauty in their name. Number well, explain five. To, explain to people what a GSE is. GSE is a government-sponsored enterprise. Freddie, uh, Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae are government-sponsored enterprises, not mm -hmm. technically. And they 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 were private at one point, and then you went back to the GSE status. There's been a lot of back and forth. For the purpose of this conversation, they were originally sponsored by the government so that they could facilitate the buying of mortgage-backed securities and the continuing you know, mortgage market and support like the American dream. Right. A lot there to unpack in, in an episode if somebody ever really wants to get into the history of the GSEs. It's actually really fascinating mm -hmm. and how they've functioned and how they've evolved over time in their current iterations, but that's, a, that's another conversation for another day. Mm -hmm. uh, JP Morgan Chase was number five. That shocked the hell out of me. 73.3 billion, 3.9% market share. This is the number one largest bank in the world. Right. And they've, they're number five. They're number five on the list. That's by design by them. Yeah. They it don't want has to more be. exposure. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, and they're at 73.3%, uh, 73.3 billion. New Res LLC, I don't really know who that is, 56.9%, 3% of the market share. But number seven, Loan Depot at 47.4 billion, 2.5% market share. Yeah. They only own 2.5% of the market. People just don't want that exposure. Yeah. And it goes all the way down. And I think Bank of America is number 10. Uh, do you think Do you think this is this has changed since the Great Recession? Is that why? A, a big oh, part yeah. Of this? This, yeah. this has changed since the Great Recession. It's changed a lot in the last year, year and a half, frankly. Right. Um, a lot of these have pivoted. Rocket's always been up there. United Wholesale's always been up there. Wells Fargo, JP Morgan, Lone Depot. Um, Lending Tree used to be on the list at some point in time. U.S. Bank Corp's always been there. Bank of America is actually interesting that they're number 10. They've tried to, Brian Moynihan, the world's most genius CEO, yeah. has tried to transition himself uh, from a, a much more complex bank into a consumer bank. So yeah. if you're a consumer bank and you're number 10 on making loans to home owners, yeah. it seems yeah. a little right. weird, right? But, you know, $39.5 billion, 2.1% uh, market share. I mean, it's not like they're doing bad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. As much as I like to bag them, Brian Moynihan, this is, this is not the thing to do for. Right. 
So, let's get into some negative news, shall we? Negative news. Because all the stuff we talked about so far wasn't super negative. Yeah. I, I did some uh, some digging, and uh, it's all started from uh, an, an article I saw from Market Insider about Amazon's founder, Jeff Bezos. Yeah. He warned that a recession is looming and the Americans uh, should prepare for the worst. Quote, prepare mm-hmm. for the worst. I thought, number one, again, here Saeed is out in front of the world's wealthiest man. Yeah, got him. Or second wealthiest, whatever the hell status he is. Right. You know, clearly you're the laureate still. Laureate. Kudos to you. Still for, up for grabs. For Let's still, go. I mean, Jeff Bezos, you might be on TRT, brother. <laughs> but Saeed's on that OPP. <laughs> on that OPP, baby. <laughs> But there's some interesting quotes in the article that I thought he was he was clearly negative about the about the economy in a lot of ways. I was actually shocked to see some of the things here. So the economy does not look quote great right now is one quote from him. Right. Things are quote slowing down. You're seeing layoffs in many many sectors of the economy. He continued the probabilities say if we're not in a recession right now, we're likely to be in one very soon. Which you and I have spoken about many, many times on the show that we believe we've been in a recession since January 1st. Absolutely. 2022, National Bureau of Economics will then later on look at this and declare that. After I get my laureate. After you get the laureate, baby. Yes, sir. You sound like a Dr. Seuss character, though. <laughs> uh, so I, the layoffs in many sectors got me thinking about the tech sector. There's been a lot of layoffs in the tech Yeah, and Amazon laid off 10,000 people, right? Yeah, Amazon. Well, let's, let's get into the numbers, okay? So I, I, did a little bit of, I did a little homework. Okay. For this episode. So tech layoffs so far. This is as of a couple days ago when I pulled this together. Meta, 11,000, 13% of their workforce. Twitter, 3.7 thousand, 50% of their workforce. Mm. Intel, 20% of their workforce. Snap, 20% of their workforce. Netflix, 450 people. Robinhood, 30% of their workforce. Stripe, Lyft, 13% of their workforce. Salesforce, 2,000 employees. Amazon, 10,000 employees. It's insane, man. Just there. Just there. Right. From my own little... Back of the napkin math, that's 120,000 layoffs. Right. From 2000 to 2001, the dot-com era layoffs in the tech sector, that was the fintech bubble burst, recessionary economy. Layoffs were (laughs) 107,000. Already surpassed that. Already surpassed that. Yeah. Q4 layoffs have just begun. Well, obviously, you know, the tech sector has grown quite substantially since then, but still. It has. Point is well taken. So the fintech bubble bursting led to what less... Less layoffs that we've seen already, and we haven't even finished Q4. Right. Haven't even finished Q4. What I found really interesting about, you know, the Amazon layoffs was this comes right before one of the biggest spending days in the, like, in our economy, right? Yeah. This this week, this week, people spend the the most amount of money, I I think, right? Call me crazy, bro, but I don't remember seeing, like, people talk about Black Friday this out far. I've seen more Black Friday posts recently than I have seen... I mean, like, is it just a hustle now? Like, is there really even a deal? Bro, why are you talking about Black Friday like weeks out in advance? Of, I mean, I haven't, I haven't even thought about a turkey yet, bro. <laughs> you need some turkey in your life. It's just, why are you making me the asshole here? Right. And, and, like, the sad part is, is I'm looking at all this going like, okay, like, oh, your Black Friday sale, your Black Friday sale, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Right. Most people right now are still just trying to get through work and hoping not to get laid off. Right. Like, why are you guys pimping Black Friday out? Exactly. And then, then it's Cyber Monday after that. So, uh, so, so wait, some more on this Amazon deal. So, of the departments that are being laid off, apparently the number one department that's getting hit the hardest is their Alexa department, which has been reported to have lost up to $5 billion in a, in a single given year. $5 billion? What what are, what are we doing? Lose a billion dollars, get the fuck out. First of all, props what? to Amazon. They're like, fuck it, they're losing five billion in this division. Okay, we'll keep them going for a little longer. Yeah. Like, we'll keep, let, let them go. Like, they're good. I remember I remember about, like, seven or eight years ago, Professor Norris was telling me how it's amazing how Amazon's stock price was continuing to go up, but every year they're reporting losses. Behavioral economics, man. Uh, Tesla, same way. Yeah. Tesla was losing money hand over fist for a long-ass time. People were like, oh, they're going to turn profitable. You just wait and see. Yeah. That's not why people normally invested. They, they, they value invested. Charlie Munger were here. He'd be cussing everybody out. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. He'd be like, they're selling you shit again, boys. Yeah, for the kidnappers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You've got a venereal disease. <laughs> Investing in Amazon, that lost leader. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he'd probably be saying the same shit. But the reality is behavioral economics pays off sometimes. Sometimes mm-hmm. people people really do believe in something so much that – it, they're willing to hang in through situations like that and take that perceived risk. Uh, granted, cryptocurrency did the same thing, but in the context of Amazon and Tesla, those those concepts were valuable. Right. Good. You know, shout out for you if you got in early. Yeah. 
I did not get in early. No. I, don't, I got in there a little early-ish with Tesla, I should say. But, you know, I, I've never liked Alexa. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, we use her at the house. Do you really? Yeah. I feel like Alexa's a nosy the bitch. Kid, the kids, she is nosy. Uh, but the kids listen or make all kinds of requests. God damn, my wife taught her son to do that. Oh, it's so good. Alexa, play Blippy. I'm like, fuck. Oh, my God. My, my kids right now, Alexa, play the Space Jam song. And Alexa knows. That's not the name of the song, but it knows what song they want. Yeah, but Siri's better. Siri's better. Siri, Siri reads the messages got, that come in. Siri's better. Really? You got one of those Siri stereo boxes or whatever? No, no. I use my iPhone. Oh, okay. Because I, I wear my iPod. That ain't loud AirPods. enough, though. Huh? Ain't louder to support the whole house. That's the idea. Yeah. I, the whole house doesn't need to hear your shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't want to hear Blippi blasting. Like, it's bad, man. Yeah, man. This kid, Blippi. It's, you know, it's Blippi bad. has gotten so big that he's now hired someone to play him. He sold it. Yeah. He sold it? For like $650 million. This guy's story is so great. He said that he started Blippi. Did you hear about this? Yeah, yeah. He said he was he was watching some some other dude on YouTube with his nephew. He's like, I could do this better. And he just, he just started doing it. Next thing you know, he owns this giant warehouse out of Las Vegas. and Yeah, but you know his like whole comedy routine was like adult, like graphic comedy before it was like yeah, 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 yeah. really that, inappropriate. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So he, there's a lot of criticism that came to him about that, but somehow he wanted to overcome it. Like, as a parent, your he, kids are addicted to this. He did not secure I mean, he did secure the bag. He did oh, not yeah. fumble it. Dude, I was watching a new episode the other day, which, God help my life, this is what I'm watching on television now. I know. There's a girl version now. No, I did not know this. It was this. an African-American chick. I think it was, I couldn't tell. I remember I was late at night and I was my son, but somebody, she looked ethnic of some type, whatever, mm-hmm. but she, uh, she has like a purple and yellow like theme going on, right, like a little right. like blippy colored bag that she rolls out and I don't remember her name, but it was like a off, and it wasn't the original blippy, it was the fake blippy in her. Yeah, yeah. But I guess if somebody else bought his companies, then Do it, needs to, yeah. it needs to survive him anyway, right? Right, so right. So you, you get away from him as a person and you just create yeah. the character. Right. Uh, man, absolutely insane, dude. This guy, he's on iTunes, all his songs. I saw he's got merch. He's got toys, merch, he got merch at Target. Bro, they're crushing it. My son bought the trash truck. <laughs> he's got a trash truck. I was so bi- yeah, Blippy trash truck. I was uh, so butthurt about it. Yeah, I was like, I really don't want to buy this. Yeah, yeah. I'm buying this because my son is compelled, and I don't understand. So like, I was good, man. Dude, my my kid, my son will watch trash trucks. Yeah, and first of all, like, I don't know what you're doing for a living, guy, but. Who records trash trucks all day? He knows what he's doing, man. He's got the clicks. And he, it's funny, if you go to uh, the comments section of the YouTube videos, it's just like a bunch of random letters. And you can tell like parents have just given the kids their phones. And the kids are just like... Is that what's, <laughs> I've never checked. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you should totally check. It's the most hilarious thing. He's just like, oh, well, these are the parents that just hand their kids their phones. They're, Shut up. Here, watch this. But it's it's like content in perpetuity. I keep saying the word like tonight because I got no other better way to describe this. It's, 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 it's <laughs> yeah. mind-boggling to me. Yeah. But it's just content in perpetuity. It never gets old. Right. You see these trash trucks in perpetuity that... Some of these downloads have millions of. Oh I mean, yeah, this guy's getting paid. Just have millions of, of downloads. It's just right. it's unbelievable. And crack, so I look crack, at some of the stuff. Crack and I'm the just, algorithm. How, no, they they cracked kids' brains. Yeah, they tapped into what kids want to see. Like my my son will watch Vlad and Nikki. Yeah, yeah. You've seen them? No, I I think I've heard of them. It's just two kids who play with toys and do weird stuff. I yeah. don't understand the draw, man. Yeah. I don't, I don't get it, and I don't understand how somebody the, how the explained parents... it to me. It, it kind of goes along with that the same theory of why people even uh, go on Twitch to watch people play video games. I never. No, no, I get that. You know why? Let me tell you why. When you were a kid, you play you ever play any kind of video games? Rarely. Okay, so Nintendo figured out a long. There was a huge. I can't. I can't remember what the. It was like a expose almost or something like that. That it was just about the Nintendo kind of beginnings and. And some of the stories behind things like Duck Hunt and the guys who made it. And it was right. this whole subculture thing on Nintendo. But I watched it. It was really fascinating. It was on Netflix. Uh-huh. And they were talking about how Nintendo Magazine, kids got really frustrated playing some of the video games. So they stopped playing them because they couldn't pass certain levels. Right. So they came out with a Nintendo Magazine to help kids. Right. It's great. They sold it to kids to help kids beat the game so the kids would buy new games. Yeah. Genius. Twitch is the same thing, man. It's just that it's getting, it's getting kids into that flow state, right? It's the it cheat codes. Be, it can't be too easy. because and it then can't be too hard. It can't be too hard. You got to get the, give the kids just enough. Yeah. It's just like up, down, up, down, left, right, left, right, ABA. Start select. Yeah, start select. If you didn't know that, shame on you. Yeah, you got to know. Yeah, you got to know. No, but I think I think it's actually, it, it's, it's deeper than that, especially for people that are watching uh, other people play on Twitch. Somebody explained it to me and it made a whole lot of sense. It's like growing up when you were younger, you used to watch basketball. 
right? Mm-hmm. Why'd you watch basketball? Because you played basketball. You like basketball. Same reason why these kids are watching other people play video games. They like playing these games. So they like to watch other people play these games. I don't understand it. Personally, it, it, I don't get it. But clearly, there's a market for it. I mean, there's a whole department at UCI for gaming. You know what I don't understand? I'm going to make sure I'm going to get the list out. I wasn't planning on talking about this, but I went down the rabbit hole and I'm ashamed of myself. I'm going to tell you right now, <laughs> I'm, I'm not proud of what I had, what I looked through. Oh, no. And what I, what, I, what I got into, but. Let's go through your whole search history. No, you don't want to do that. <laughs> no, it's bad. There's a lot of tiger's penis in there. T T Y G A tiger penis. <laughs> oh, tiger. oh, we don't understand. Yeah. Oh yeah, Chris. Chris and I. Chris took the liberty of looking up the the highest paid people on what's that site called? Stop it. <laughs> you know. Fuck you. <laughs> How you gonna pay me to be the asshole? <laughs> yeah, cool. My wife hey, listens yo, to the show yo, too. Hey, Fuck what's, you. Hey, what's that shit I'm, called? <laughs> you're such a terrible human being, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not oh, playing yeah. your game. Yeah. I'm not doing that with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. No. Absolutely not. No. Yes. No. Hell no. Strictly, no. strictly fans, something like that. <laughs> I don't know. So Chris Chris looked up the highest paid people on OnlyFans. You're a and, terrible. And you know, I think Tyga was number four. Number four. No. Why? Even higher. He's making how many he's making like seven million dollars a month? I went down Who's the, paying I for went, this? I went down the rabbit hole, man, and I I, I went deep the <laughs> God this is gonna sound so terrible every time I explain it. I went deep down the rabbit hole and I wanted to see who <laughs> who was making money and and I was so shocked to see Tyga there, right? That that I was like, okay, why? I thought he just Tyga- fell off. I thought he fell off. I was like, oh, he's just not making music anymore. Now I know why he's not making music anymore. Yeah, because he's making millions of dollars a month with his peepee. <laughs> it's it's just unbelievable, man. Like I I went down. So here's so, the list. All right, and and I'm I'm still trying. I'm still trying to take this in, man. Yeah, it bothers me. Yeah, yeah, rightfully <laughs> so. Number one, this Black is a China. Re- this this is a reflection on society and where we're at today. Yeah. Number one, Black China. She's she's famous for her time spent with the Kardashians. I, I don't I don't understand why. Wait, so her and Tiger both associated with the Kardashians? Yeah, yeah. This is some Illuminati type shit. So estimated earnings are twenty million dollars a month. Black China? Yeah. Number one, OnlyFans. Let that sink. Let that sink in. <laughs> let that sink in. And like, I gotta, I gotta be honest. I don't think Black China is attractive. No, at all. No, twenty million dollars a month. But why? Sixteen point two million followers on OnlyFans. What are you getting out of this? I don't understand. I don't give a damn. She could be the hottest woman alive. It could be yeah, Angelina yeah. Jolie or yeah. whoever you you know imagine yeah, at night. We, we got to tiptoe around this subject very, yeah, very I, carefully. I'm just saying, I don't understand. Right. I do not understand. Somebody help us understand. Like, and I, you, I don't. Twenty million dollars a month. It's not just her. It's the next. It's everybody on this list. And I want everybody to have some perspective here. And I'm gonna be a terrible human being, okay? And I apologize. I'm gonna apologize now in advance. Yeah, yeah. We already know. These are not people who are gonna hire a CPA and pay taxes. No, no, they're gonna still go bankrupt. It's fine. You know, you know, these people are not going. You know what? Um, is that is that one? Is that other girl too? That was that got famous from Doctor Phil. Oh, we'll get there. Actually, she's she, not number two. No, she's not number two. Uh, this this list has Bella did Thorne. Make, didn't she make fifty million dollars last year? Fifty-two million, and yeah. that's not number two. She might be number two. Hold on, this might be an old list. Hold on, I pulled it because I couldn't find the actual video. But Bad Baby is who you're referring to. That's her name. She made fifty-two million dollars last year. But keep in mind, Black China number one made two hundred forty million dollars last year. That's fucking twenty insane. million dollars a month is, is her average, right? I don't understand what. How did Bad Baby? leverage this into now making 50 million dollars a year off of OnlyFans. 52 million. Off 52 of, off million of being a, a terrible child. I, I don't I don't understand, dude. Like I don't, I'm not, not even gonna say Bella Thorne she's a redheaded girl, right? Yeah, she's an actress, right? Yeah, she, some I don't know. She's making eleven million dollars. I heard month. I heard I heard she crashed the site when she tried to join. Yeah. Yeah. Cardi B was on there. Tyga is in the top five. 7.69 million. A month. Yeah. Somebody help us understand. I don't understand. Yeah. What what do y'all need to see in order for me to make one million? Mia Khalifa, former porn star, six point four two six point four two million dollars a month. Okay, that so that, that makes sense. That it makes you're, sense. You're former porn star. It makes sense. So they make it begs the question, right? What is she doing porn? Are these people doing porn on there? Is that why? Is that is that what this is? I, I mean, why I are you logging on to I mean I don't know. I, I don't understand. I don't understand. And I gotta, I gotta narrowly tailor like how I, how I search this stuff because you know, yeah, 
I don't I don't want to be this person, but yeah, Black China twenty million, Bella Thorne eleven million, Cardi B nine point four three million, Tiger seven point six nine million, Mia Khalifa six point four two million. Top five runners. How Tiger's in the top four? I went down a rabbit hole in that. Yeah, I wanted to see it at some point. I'm, I'm not being a bad person. Like I'm not trying to be. Yeah, at some point when we're uh, monetizing the podcast, we're gonna invest in an OnlyFans account and do a deep dive. I'm not doing that. On Tiger. No, not doing <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, I can't, can't do it. Come on. I can't bring myself to do it. Like, I, I'll, I'll do some research and everything else. Yeah. So, Bella Thorne is an actor, singer, took the number two spot with an estimated $11 million per month, if followed we, by rapper Cardi if B. We, if we hire an intern, just be like, let me yeah. ask you a question. Uh, question number one, uh, do you have an OnlyFans account? Your job is to sign up to OnlyFans <laughs> yeah. and explain to us <laughs> What's why going any, on? any of this makes sense at all. So, apparently, when they when they took the... so I, cause, Because I went down the rabbit hole here, and I'm an idiot, and, and I just couldn't stop. When they had this whole, like, we're not going to allow adult content on OnlyFans. Yeah. And they had that, like, I, brief I remember, period of time. I, yeah. Tyga was making so much money that he literally said, okay, deleted his account and created his own OnlyFans. And he was going to have his own like website. His own, like his own platform. He was going to have his own platform. And, and then, then like, no, no, we're sorry. We're come, please yeah. come back. And then he came back. So they pulled an Elon Musk. Please yeah. come back. I didn't mean to fire you. Yeah. You, saw, you saw it today. Look yeah, at you, yeah. Mr. Pop Culture. Yeah. The guy gets social media. Now he knows the stuff. Yeah. He posted photos of those two dudes he fired. You see that? No, I did not see yes. that. <laughs> <laughs> he posted photos of the two dudes he fired and then he asked to come back. So he, no, he fired. You didn't see this? He fired two dudes on Twitter. <laughs> they're they're taking shots across the bow at him on Twitter employees taking shots across the bow at Elon Musk on Twitter at their CEO. So he responded saying he won't respond. He's fired now. Like he he fired people right. Wow. On Twitter, so he felt bad about it. Two dudes. Yeah. I think there were two uh, programmers. Uh, this, this so somebody reached out to me actually. I want to make sure that I address this. In the last episode, we referred to people as coders. And we did. Yeah, we referred to people as coders, and and I wanted to make sure that we were clear get the vernacular right yeah so i'm not in the tech space and i don't really know the the tech space very well so uh engineers yeah engineers is probably a better way to put it but describe software engineers as coders everyone who works in the tech space cringes most folks don't even think about it but if you refer to them as software engineers or developers it usually gives some credibility so no disrespect to anybody we referred to in that reference in that reference point so elon musk was chatting with two developers mm-hmm and he terminated them because they were basically speaking out about him on the Twitter platform. Insubordination among the ranks is unacceptable. Right? He can do that. So he did. He hired them back, took photos with them, and said it was one of his biggest mistakes, and then posted it to Twitter. And they came back. They came back. He posted photos of them back in the office and, like, give them the thumbs up and everything else. <laughs> give them the just... thumbs up. This guy is so wild, bro. <laughs> He's so wild. But, you know, a shout out to him for at least, you know, not being so visceral and being able to Shout out to it. him. So you like him again. Elon? Yeah. I never not liked him. Well, your, your, account, your account's verified now for the public to see? Not not, not fixed. No. <laughs> it's, it's still, not still fixed. a problem. I did, I did tag him today. Like, hey, man. Fix this like, shit. This shit's getting weird. Yeah. <laughs> so he also said today that that all the legacy verified Twitter accounts. Yeah. So if you had like a legacy tick mark for being right. government official or somebody notable, gone. Whatever, that's gone in a couple months. <laughs> in a couple months? In a couple months, that's going to be it, gone. Get your shit figured well, out. We're not turning the, the Twitter blue back on until like November 29th or something, at the end of the month. Until they get their shit figured they gotta out. They got to figure their shit out. So. <laughs> yeah. There's so much he's got to figure out. The comments the comments section, every time he posts about it, though, are ruthless. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Can't wait for November 29th, another debacle. Yeah. Well, that's going to be fucked up. And you're yeah, just like, come on, dude. man. Like, how you gonna be? People are ruthless. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's trying to do the right thing, but I don't know. What is the right thing anymore? What is the right thing? A That's blue a tick question. has street cred, yeah. really? Like, why does that mean anything to you? Look how stupid we are. Yeah. Ooh, blue tick. We're sitting here talking about a blue tick. You know how many notable people that that are well respected in business but don't have like a tick mark or something like that have hit me up saying they want one, and I ask them why, and they say they just want to slide in the girls' DMs. I love the people that are notable and they don't even care to get one. Yeah, I love that. There's, like, there's a lot of people out there. This means this means nothing to me. I'm not playing this monetary game. With yeah, you. yeah, yeah. Go ahead. That's fine. Uh, unlike me, yeah. <laughs> unlike <you. laughs> Unlike me, I needed it. I need it. Give it to me. It means I'm somebody. Yeah, yeah. America. <laughs> I made it, ma. Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. Well, we ran through a bunch of data, and there you have some articles left. You want to talk about any of that stuff? Or are you done? Yeah, I actually have something good. Uh, if, if anyone still, I know that we're, uh, by this point, based on the analytics, retention has dropped. But in oh, case you're still yeah. in sensitive case, topic for Said, he looked at the analytics today and he was very emotionally conflicted with how our 
our throughput rate is about 75 to 80%, which is actually really good in podcast. Anything yeah. above 60% is good. But Saeed's really butthurt that y'all didn't stay to the end. So if you, yeah, if that's, you that's on, when we get into the personal stuff and we really let the jokes fly. Nobody gives a shit about your personal life, bro. Yeah, come on, bro. <laughs> I don't know bro. how to tell you this. Like, you like nobody about, cares. Yeah, no, it's but, about you. It's yeah, about well, you. Maybe it's the hairy foot jokes. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're hairy foot jokes, I'm out. People are like, you know what? I'm lifting weights, bro. I'm not trying to vomit. So yeah. if you want to do Saeed any kind of favor... If, you, if you're done with the show, cool. Just turn the volume down, leave your phone there, and come back to it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That would do us a solid. Yeah, we would need that. Yeah, exactly. And take this moment to leave us an honest five-star review if you haven't. I want Look, as a friend, Yeah, you might be pimping the five-star review a little hard now. Well, come on. What do you mean? We, we haven't gotten any new ones. No, we have. Yeah, nothing. Nothing. Yeah. So clearly, this tact is not working. Yeah, we got to stop. No, you got to stop. Think, I, think people are gonna, I think people are deleting the reviews. They're like, fuck these guys. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, I got some positive feedback on the the starting a business episode we did. Really? Yeah, I didn't send it to you. Today. Yeah, you stopped sharing yeah. this stuff. With no, me. It, was just, it was just a couple couple messages. I was just so busy today, but it's not a well received episode for us. Yeah, people didn't like it. I thought it would be a good one, but maybe not. Maybe people just listen because we're like a funny news outlet. Yeah, like, I, don't know, I don't know. Yeah, look at these two jerk offs. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but I actually did have something that I one thought jerk off that I thought was with a sultry voice. The other, <laughs> the other guy's good. That was quite interesting. Uh, article posted by Moneywise. The U.S. has just 25 days of diesel supply, the lowest since 2008. Here's why that's a more alarming than a dwindling oil piggy bank. So, although most people don't use diesel, people are affected by the rising price of diesel. Right. This. Diesel is the fuel of the global economy, and the price of diesel is priced in the cost of almost everything that we use. Goods around the world are transported via ship, train, trucks, and most of which use diesel. So you can you can see how this can affect everything and still affect CPI. Your reading wasn't very sexy there. I'm going to be honest. Uh, I'm not going to read it. Like, you want to read it was, like you? No, no, no. It was very, my reading at least is not so mechanical. According, Yours, I mean, this, yeah, you, this is Chris. Throw some enthusiasm in that bitch. According to the EIA, Energy Information Administration. Stop, read the point. Read the point. Okay, yeah, okay, hurtful, yeah. You're just being hurtful now, okay? <laughs> I try to do it with enthusiasm, man. You Diesel. Like, no, I don't care. We get straight I, I, to I, the facts, yeah. yeah. Diesel and heating oil, 17% below the five-year average of this time last year. The two fuels are produced at the same time in refineries, and as the weather gets colder and colder, the increase of heating oil demand will put more pressure on the diesel market, meaning our energy prices are going to go up, which will impact CPI report moving forward. Now, But not PCE, brother. Yeah, but not PCE where they remove food and energy, which is why they, they do do that. But experts, on the contrary, have said uh, they, they pointed out that the current 25.8-day worth of diesel only represents what's in storage and doesn't factor in the amount of fuel uh, being produced in the U.S. or imported here. So it's actually we do get a little bit more. It's not like we're going to run out of diesel in a month. I don't want everyone, everyone to freak out, but it's still very, very low and expected to impact that next CPI report. I look at it as all related to crude oil supply, depending on what's been going on there. Mm-hmm. I don't look at that as like an exterior factor. It's really important. But it's really? Prob- I mean, lowest level since 2008? Not a problem? Well, uh, there's a lot of economic factors that go in there, but I think that those numbers are represented, frankly, in even the core inflation, in that all those energy costs are somehow impacting all sorts of other things. The Pepsi was a great example we talked about before, right? Mm-hmm. They raised their prices because their costs went up. Some of that is fuel costs, shipping costs. Yeah. So that, that's gone up. costs you more the consumer. I think that's why, you know, work, when you eat food at work and, and at school, it's up 95%. Right. Th- these are all those costs adding in. So... It is impacting us, even if you try to exclude it. Mm-hmm. It's just going to have an impact, and I think there's some pretty significant impacts that, that are unaccounted for. I don't, I, I don't expect the CPI report to continue to tick down on the next report. I don't either. I think there's going to be a pop-up in the next quarter or two. I think pop is going to stay stagnant. I think, it'll, I think it'll go up a little bit. Yeah. I, I, think, I, think, uh, I think we're likely to see some more. Uh, I mean, I'd be humbly surprised, and this is not a prediction, because I think there's a lot of rogue factors right now. I want to see how the holiday season goes before I make any predictions, but uh, I, I don't have a high degree of confidence that inflation has peaked like everybody else does. I'm not saying that I'm not optimistic and hopeful. You don't, I think, that it's, you don't think that it's peak, so you don't think, they're saying the peak was in June at 9.1. No, no, no. So, well, yeah, okay. So inflation peaked at 9.1. Core inflation just started coming down. Right. That's the, bear, that's the main metric for the Fed. Right. I don't know that core inflation is going to continue to fall down. Mm. And I don't know that it's going to stay stagnant. I think we might see it pop up. Yeah. And I want to wait to see a little more prints and stuff like that before I make anything like official. I'm, I'm very hesitant 
to, to be confident in where core inflation's at right now. Yeah. I think we're getting, so. we're getting to a point where we're going to start to see it have less increase over time and maybe less less volatility, but I don't know that we're seeing it come down consistently over time yet. I, I would be I would be happy to see that. Again, I, I would love to see things like that stabilize. I'd love to see the mortgage market, uh, you know, be a lot more comfortable at this point in time. But I also have mixed emotions about that because I also want to see home prices come down more. Yeah, I haven't seen them come down to where I want them to be, which is also fine. I mean, now's a great time to buy if that's the case. At if least you have the, a six handle, you know. Yeah, at least to offset that hundred thousand dollar, you know, buying power that. But I do believe Q1 is going to be a really, really rough quarter. So let me paint the picture in, in a little more clarity here. I believe that a lot of companies are going to have to manage their profitability in the next quarter, the next year. Yes. So earnings for a lot of companies are going to be impacted by this particular economy. Mm-hmm. I don't really care what business you're in. If you're in Amazon, you're cutting jobs. You're doing that because you're managing earnings. If you're in the tech space, obviously, you've got to manage earnings. You're cutting costs. You're cutting employees. Pretty much any company that you've seen have layoffs, that's managing their earnings. It's managing how much money they're making and their profitability. Right. Okay. A lot of these companies have done a, a revitalized, a revitalized, a revised forecast for 2023. Yes. And a lot of them have revised their earnings down, but the market kicked them in the ding ding for it. Mm-hmm. FedEx, great example. They revised their earnings down. They get their tank. Their stock just got hammered. Mm-hmm. Okay. So as these things happen. We're going to go into the actual year and we're going to see what those numbers look like. Right. I mean, this, and that's exactly why Jamie Dimon said that you expect you know, the market to still come down another yeah. 20%. I, I do think that there's going to be some underperformers who tried their best to cut costs and manage, manage their earnings. And they're, they're going to look and say, okay, well, you know what? We over forecast what we thought we would sell. Right. We over forecast what, what our what our costs were, you know, or we under forecast what our costs were going to be, and it impacted our our forecasted earnings. Right, we over forecasted them. So I think a lot of that's going to play out, and we're going to have a very very tight market in Q1. And couple that with the quantitative tightening that we touched on earlier in the show, mm-hmm. that this the their Fed is really you know putting their foot down and starting to take money out of the system. Yep. With that, I mean, you can see where this is going. Yeah, it, it paints a, a very dark picture. So with all that being said. If companies are, are really going to start hurting, that means you got lower in the stock market to go. That means inflation, while it, it can be coming down still, mm-hmm. there's a probability that it will continue to increase after a bit of a lull after mm-hmm. this last quarter. Yeah. And we could be in that lull now. And the Fed has said, Jerome, Jerome Powell has said that there's a fear of not doing too much. So again, I'm, I'm cop- cautiously optimistic. I, we've talked about it on previous episodes. I want to get to a point where we're talking about all the great things that are happening out there. But I also want to be very, very cautious because I don't want to give anybody a false narrative that I'm confident or that we're confident that, that this is all working its way towards the right direction. And I don't think that anybody should look at one quarter's prints and numbers and say, oh, CPI was this and PCE was this and PPI was that and, and this is GDP and this is what the Fed did. We're good. Right. It's going to take more than that. That's exactly why the traditional recession was declared after two negative quarters of GDP growth. Right. Because one quarter in and of itself was not a trend, but two quarters was a trend. Right. And that's been our message on the show ever since we first started is constantly reassess every three months. And that's why is because every three months you're, you're kind of looking at the macro market, but you also have a six month window to look at. Mm-hmm. It's really what you're looking at every three months is what does this quarter do relative to last quarter? Where do I think the next one's going to go? If you have two quarters of positive trends in the economy, if we have more CPI, PPI, and PCE prints that are positive in the next quarter, right? then guess what? I think we're heading in the right direction. We should celebrate. Yeah. And also, unfortunately, for the people that will be losing their jobs if unemployment goes up. And that, that's also another thing. So in the Great Recession, is by way of example, unemployment continued to rise after the end of the recessionary economy. Right. Its height was after. Right? It was height, height was after, and it's a lacking indicator. Yep. So don't look at employment in and of itself as the only barometer to what we're going through from an economic perspective. Yeah. Know that as these things happen and you start to see layoffs, that number should take up, but it probably won't peak until well after the end of this. Mm-hmm. So if we got to 5% or 6% unemployment, I would not be worried personally about where we are then. I'd be worried about where we are in the next year. Well said, Chief. Yeah. You brought up Mike Tyson before we got on the air. You want to talk about that? Well, we can save it for We got two more episodes to do this week. You want to throw it in now? You can do whatever you like. We already hit our hour mark. 
Let's wow, te- let's tease look this. at you What's tapping you? out. No, man, this is called a teaser, bro. Come a on. Teaser. All right, well, I've got a fun story to share about Mike Tyson uh, having uh, ran into him unexpectedly on a plane. Saeed asked a question. This is all foreshadowing. So if you tune into the next episode and you gave us a five-star review, an honest one, mm-hmm. we'll let you hear that story. If at, you didn't... At the end of the episode. We will find a way to block you. <laughs> yeah, at the end of the episode. So you can never hear that story. To keep that retention up. <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you all for tuning in we will see you on the next episode good night everybody i hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the higher standard podcast make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you are listening to this on if you like this episode please write a review and share it with us you're getting the show up and running right now so every message every review and every note counts This show exists to showcase what's possible when leaders decide to uphold a higher standard for their businesses, their investments, their families, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to see more of my content, I post daily on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. So be sure to follow me on your favorite social media platform. And with that, it is a wrap. And as always, I look forward to hanging with you all on the next episode.